Good morning. Happy Easter. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Bill Stafiri. I'm the lead pastor here at Beach Point Fountain Valley. And this has been an exciting weekend. Uh, about 500 people here last night. Uh, about a minute ago, uh, Huntington Beach, Beach Point Huntington Beach, just finished their first ever Easter service. Uh, they got one more to go, and we got one more after this. And so uh, uh, this uh, full weekend, six services over two days in two cities, uh, we're launching a series called Hope Arising. And all of us know how important hope is in our life, don't we? That, that without hope, uh, we seem to find ourselves sinking to the bottom. It, it, in fact, it, all of us face things in life uh, that will either cause us to sink or rise to the top. What is it that helps people rise to the top when they, they are, are out of gas, when they're losing hope, when they, they start to feel hopeless? Uh, what is it? it? It's hope in the right things. It, it, causes us, it leads us to the surface. And so I want to help illustrate this a little bit. When I was in college, I used to uh, love watching uh, a show called uh, Late Night with David Letterman. And he used to have this little uh, gag that he'd do called Will It Float? And so would you join me? We're going to play a little game called Will It Float? So, all right, here we go. (laughs) It's a very simple game. The question is, will it float? Brand new can of Coca-Cola, okay? Brand new can of Coca-Cola. Will it float? Raise your hand if you think it's going to float. Raise your hand if you think it's going to sink. Okay, Coca-Cola. Ready? One, two, three. Okay, Coca-Cola. Sink. What about Diet Coke? Any different? (laughs) Diet Coke. Some of you are hoping. You drink a lot of this. Uh, Float. Sink. Okay. (laughs) Already I've amazed you. (laughs) All right. What about some Funfetti? This is a brand brand new unopened can of Funfetti frosting. Okay. Sink or float? Sink. Float. Okay. About half, half. Ready? Okay. What about a Dwight Schrute bobblehead? <laughs> sink. <laughs> this is going to sink. He's just going to look at you the rest of the service with that, <laughs> that glare. Uh, I don't have anything else good. Uh, maybe someone in the audience has something good. Uh, what do you guys got? What do you got? Anybody, a coconut? coconut? That would be great. <laughs> Kevin. I can always count on you. Coconut. Sink. Pretty heavy. Sink. Float. Enough of you have been on a deserted island, you know. There you go. Anything else? A can of Spam. Huh. I usually have one with me all all times too. Can of Spam. Sink or float? Sink. Float. Some of you still think, hey, yeah, we don't know what's in here really, do we? Let's see. Where is this? We'll go here. Give yourselves a hand. You guys did a good job. Sink or float. We'll let Vanna take this away. Now think about this, that all of us need to figure this out, that nobody does well in life if they're sunk, if they're sunk at the bottom. None of us do well. Hope is what helps us rise to the surface. Hope is what makes us buoyant in this life. Ray Johnson writes this. He says, Tough circumstances are no match for the kind of inner strength fueled by hope. 
all of us need hope. All of us need hope because there are seasons in our, in our career where we feel hopeless, where maybe even now you sense this, that your job, your future, your career, that you just sense something isn't right, that this isn't what you dreamed it would be. You feel that sense of hopelessness. Maybe even someone's even told you it's hopeless, uh, that don't come back on Monday, okay? Maybe you feel that. Uh, some of us feel this in, in sense of relationships. We feel the hopelessness of a relationship that's breaking apart. We sense something's not right. We sense something isn't working. And we feel hopeless because of that. Some of you feel hopeless because you wrestle with addiction. And no matter what that thing is, that, that there, this temporary, momentary pleasure, while it provides that, that sensation for a moment, it, it creates this, this overwhelming sense of guilt and shame and failure afterwards. And when those moments come and that cycle continues in your life, you feel hopeless. Will it ever change? Will I ever break out of this? We all go through seasons where we feel hopeless. And without hope, people give up. They lose life. Maybe you've even heard the stories of uh, uh, prisoners of war. Uh, those who are being held captive. And when they, they lose that sense of hope that will ne- their situation will never change, they, they just crawl up into their, their mat or their bunk and they kind of curl into a ball and they give up. They literally give up on life and they fade away and, and, and their life just leaves them. But there's also stories of, of prisoners of war who one way or another find that the war is coming to an end. And as bad as their circumstances in that little bit of hope is what makes them rise to the surface. That somehow they can endure the punishment and the beatings and every other form of oppression that they're going through because they know there's hope. It won't always be like this. And they survive. I don't know if you've seen any of this. I'm fascinated by the number of men who are now trying to feel what it's like to experience childbirth. So there's this whole like phenomenon. Literally, it is worldwide. It's in Europe, in Asia, uh, America. I mean, everywhere, uh, men are trying to feel what it feels like to go through the pain of childbirth. And it's fascinating because you think of it in some ways, these guys, it's actually kind of hilarious. They uh, attach these electrodes and they experience these contractions, Right. And so I was watching this one guy, and he's just, he's screaming, he's holding his pillow, and he's like, you know, uh, he's having all, and he looks up, and when the contraction ends, he goes, what was that, like a nine? And the doctor goes, that was like a four. And the wife is just sitting there like, shaking her head in disgust. But, but and, and most of the men give up. They, they can't even make it through the pain of it. Why? Because there's nothing on the, there's no reason to endure this pain. But you moms know what it's like, right? You went through this pain. You endured this pain. Why? Because you knew that this pain would end and in moments you would hold your child in your arms. There was hope. There was something that could get you through the trouble and the pain of that moment. And of all the things in life that could provide hope, there is nothing. There is nothing in all the world. There is nothing in all the history of the world that can give you hope like what we are celebrating this weekend. In fact, I want to give you kind of a a big idea of of what this whole service is about and this weekend is about and where we're headed in these weeks ahead in our our series. We call it our big idea. It's in essence our sermon in a sentence. But the big idea today is this, is that the resurrection of Jesus brings life-changing hope. The the resurrection of Jesus, not just the spirit of Jesus, but the the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead. This, when you embrace this with your life, 
by faith. This, cha- this kind of life-changing faith becomes life-changing hope. It changes the way you see and experience the world. And, and the, uh, one of Jesus' closest friends, uh, Peter, who was one of the, the first disciples, uh, he writes about this. And I want you to, to listen to him explain this hope. It's found in 1 Peter, a letter he wrote, 1 Peter chapter 1. If you want to grab a Bible in front of you, it's page 1,220. But one of the last books of the Bible, you can go to the very end of your Bible and then work backwards. Uh, but one of the last books of the Bible is this, this letter that Peter writes to the church. Now, as, these, as, as Christianity began, from its very inception, they, they found uh, persecution and trouble. They found experiences that challenged them. And as they went through all these different things, uh, the easiest thing to do when there's pressure, the easiest thing to do when there's conflict or there's persecution is, is what? It's to run. It's to give up. And that's what some of these early Christians felt. It would be better for us just to go back to the old way of life than to continue on with all this pressure and persecution. The persecution intensified. In fact, it got rather intense. In fact, in this season that Peter writes, Peter will ultimately give his life as a martyr during this season. But Peter, even though this is going to be a season in which he can give his life, Peter can speak into it. He can write into this, into our lives and say, there's reason to have hope. And so read with me uh, verses three. We're going to read verses three to five, and then we'll stop for a second, and we'll come back to six to nine. But starting in verse three, we read these words. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Now stop there for a second because there's, there's two great things that we need to see about this hope. This hope that Peter speaks of as these people are, are hearing this letter and they're, they're, they're thinking about it in their, their situation. He says, first of all, you got to remember, our hope is built on something. It is built on the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Now you need to think about this. All of you have some sense of hope that is kind of driving your life. You better think about what that hope is and what it's built on. Because whatever it's built on, your whole life kind of builds out from that cornerstone. That, that cornerstone, that foundation, whatever your hope is, your whole life will compensate for it. I, I learned this in, uh, when we were down in Mexico. As, as Matt said, we're going down to Mexico to build a house. And years ago, many years ago, we went down and actually we, we attempted to build two houses, two of these houses. And we had another church with us. And so we had our A team uh, uh, working on one house. They had done it all, all these times and they just knew exactly how to do it and, and, and played according to the plan. But in the second house, we had this other group that was with us. And, and uh, as they started, they got to this, this pivotal point, this really a beginning point, where they, uh, as they were attaching the frame to the foundation, kind of moving off, they, they discovered that the, the house was not square. It was off like a quarter of an inch. And they decided, well, it's only a quarter of an inch. I remember hearing these words, it's only Mexico. In essence, like, my, my supervisor's not going to come and sign off, and it's no big deal. It's just a quarter of an inch. You want to know what that quarter of an inch did the rest of the building? 
It cost us an extra day of work because we had to compensate everything from that point on to adjust. We, we had to rebuild the roof and rebuild the rafter. Everything because we didn't build on that. Uh, we didn't set the foundation right. We didn't, uh, we didn't set the house square right from the beginning. We didn't have the right cornerstone, the right foundation point. So you better think about what your hope is built on. And Peter says this, our hope is built on something amazing. It is built on the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Notice what he's not saying, that Jesus is alive in spirit. We remember him and, we, and his memory lives in our hearts. He's saying, no, Jesus has risen from the dead. In fact, the early church was, was shaped uh, uh, by this idea. Now you have to remember, think back to Friday. So think back to the Friday of this of Easter weekend. Uh, all hope had been lost. See, a week earlier, everyone was raising palm branches and yelling Hosanna and praise. Here comes the king. He's going to save us. And Jesus is coming in. But by Friday, they're yelling crucify. And all hope had been lost. In fact, it's interesting that uh, on, on Easter Sunday, there were two guys who hadn't known about the resurrection. They kind of knew a little bit that something was going on. They're walking out of town, and it says this, that Jesus comes up alongside of them. But he kind of conceals his identity, and he asks them, so what are you guys talking about? And they're like, are you crazy? We're talking about Jesus. What else would you talk about? And, and they said these words. In Luke 24, verse 21, they said, we had hoped. Notice the past tense. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Hope was lost. The, the, the disciples were all up in a room, locked, hiding. Hope had been lost. It was pure hopelessness. But I love what Bob Goff writes. He says, darkness fell. His friends scattered. Hope seemed lost. But heaven just started counting to three. See, more was happening than they realized. The early church was built on a, on a creed, on a belief of what happened. In fact, this early creed kind of shaped all the early Christians. And it's what they held to. Their, their faith was held by this. And it's found in 1 Corinthians 15. In fact, if you get a chance, it'll be up here on the screen. But if you get a chance later today, read 1 Corinthians 15. It tells us so much about resurrection. But this is what they lived by. Notice what he says. What I received... This, 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 our foundation, I'm going to pass on to you as well. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. And that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, who's Peter. And then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of whom are still living. Though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. This is Apostle Paul who's writing this. So think about what, what they're saying. That Jesus, that he died. On that cross, he died. He was dead. We placed him in the tomb. But here's what we know, is that the tomb was empty. See, if the tomb wasn't empty, if Jesus was still in the tomb, when everyone was talking about Jesus being raised from the dead, the authorities wanted to, to stop that movement as soon as possible. It would have been very easy for them to go to the tomb, roll back the stone, grab his stinking corpse, throw it up on a pole in front of everyone and say, there's your Messiah. There's your Savior. Smell him. They couldn't do that. 
So Jesus is gone. The question is, where is he? And the passage shows us again. They said he is alive. We saw him. There were eyewitnesses. Peter, the apostles. Think about this. Peter says, I saw him. Why can he write us this letter? Because he's saying, guys, I saw him. When I write to you about this hope, you got to know where it's coming from. I saw him alive. All the other disciples, the apostles, they said, I saw him. So they were all willing to give their lives in death. The only one who didn't have to, John, who wound up living on this little prison island, all of them would sacrifice their lives for their, for their eyewitness account, their belief. Notice he says this, that the, the James, James is the brother of Jesus. Can you imagine what it'd be like if your brother came up to you and said, I'm the savior of the world. Come with me, follow me. And he started preaching and you'd think, ah, man, you're crazy. And that's how James felt. But what was it that changed James? What made James a leader in the church? What made James write one of the most demanding books in all of scripture? Giving our obedience to Christ. He saw him. And then it says this, more than 500 brothers and sisters were together at one time and saw him. In fact, you can go and talk to them. They're, most of them are still alive. This was written about 20 years or so after uh, Jesus had risen. And, and, and so he's, when Paul writes this, he's saying, look, if you don't believe me, just go and talk to them. Ask them what it was like to sit there and you're all together in a church service. And here's the resurrected Christ sharing about the kingdom of God. What was it like sitting in that church service? Oh my gosh, that was amazing. We were listening and he was blowing our minds and he was, and there he was. We saw him. We could see the, the holes in, in his hands and, and we could see the scar. We, we saw him. He is alive. And so there were eyewitnesses to this. In fact, it's interesting that if the resurrection didn't happen, then Christianity is a lie and it is useless. And the Bible is not afraid to tell you that. The Bible is not afraid to say to you, look, if Jesus really didn't rise from the dead, then what I'm doing is useless. And what you're doing here today is useless. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 14. This is the Bible. The Bible is saying to you here, permission. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. If he really hasn't risen from the dead, let's get up, let's make our way to the beast before the rest of the crowns, and let's enjoy the rest of the day there together, because that would be a better use of our time. The Bible is not afraid to say to you, if he hasn't risen from the dead, then our faith is useless. But see, instead what it says is this, he has risen. In fact, we, we stake everything on that. Our whole foundation is built there. That is the cornerstone of our faith, that he has risen from the dead. He is who he said he is. And everything that God has said through him is true. And Peter goes on, notice what he says, is that this hope that you have because of the resurrection is this living hope. It changes you both now and forever. This hope changes our lives now and forever. It changes us now. And the easiest way to see this is in the life of Peter. Imagine what it must have been like to be Peter. Think about it. On that Thursday night, they have this last supper together. They're having, uh, as they're having this time, Jesus is telling them about the difficult things that are about to happen. Peter says, I will, I will stay with you. I will, I will give my life for you. And Jesus says, I tell you before this next day, you will deny me three times. 
They come to arrest Jesus. Peter, meeting well, grabs a sword. He cuts off the servant's ear. Jesus reaches and heals the man as they're arresting him. He has to tell Peter, stop. That's not how it's going to be done. If I wanted this to stop, don't you think I could call down legion upon legion of angels to protect me? Peter, stop. And he rebukes him. And they take him away and Peter follows behind. And just as Jesus said, denies him, denies him, denies him. And he even says that, that there's this moment where they, they kind of catch eyes across this courtyard. Can you imagine what it would feel like to not only deny your best friend, but then to kind of see him and then know that you, could ne- you never got the chance to say you're sorry. That as Jesus went to the cross, that all that, all that pain, all that despair, all that hopelessness was heaped upon Peter's heart. If there was any person that was hopeless on that Friday, it was Peter. So how does he become the preacher of hope? He saw him. Jesus restored him. He called him. In fact, it's interesting that in John chapter 20, as Jesus uh, restores Peter, forgives him, he could actually say to Peter, Peter, would you be willing? I need you to be willing to give your life for me. And Peter would willingly do this. See, this hope changes you now. It changes, and some of you know that. You look at your life now and you go, wow, I am so different than who I used to be. And the things I value and the, and the way I live my life is so different than, than in the trajectory it was going. And the reason is because of my hope. I have this hope of what God has for me both now and forever. That these old things I used to think were so important have just faded away. They're not important to me anymore. See, this hope changes us now, but it also changes us forever. See, for most of us, our hope is really better expressed as optimism. So we say, I hope I get a promotion, or I hope the Ducks win the Stanley Cup, right? But there's almost like a question mark on the end, like we don't know if it's going to happen or not. So I, I, I hope I win the lottery, but I probably won't. So most of our hopes are, are I, this is what I want, but I don't know if I'll get it. The Bible speaks of it, though, very differently. See, the Bible, when it speaks of hope, and it speaks of this kind of hope, it's not speaking of something that might happen. It speaks of something that is already happened. It's already secured for us. And when it speaks of our inheritance, it doesn't say, I hope we have an inheritance. It speaks of an inheritance that is certain and sure. It's just a matter of time until we enjoy it. It's guarded. It's kept for you. That word kept is this idea of of sentinels standing out, these guards that are standing, protecting this this inheritance. And in the right day, you see it's kept in heaven until that day of salvation that comes, this this great day that comes. And it's in almost the last chapter of the Bible, in in Revelation 21, there's this picture of this. This picture of of heaven and earth coming together. The picture of, of our salvation coming into its fulfillment. And it describes it as a bride coming uh, prepared for her husband. I can remember almost 25 years ago, standing almost in this exact spot, standing here and those doors flung open and there was Kimberly. Her big 1980s bangs, like almost reaching out and touching me from the back door. And I 
I can remember seeing the smile on her face and she begins laughing and giggling and I'm laughing and giggling and then we're crying and laughing at the same time and, and, and the joy that is overwhelming our hearts because of what's about to happen. And I love that he uses this expression that, that that day will come and it's almost like you know how it feels when you're in a wedding and, and you see the bride and groom and that, that joy that we all feel as we're watching it take place. He says, because when that day comes, he will wipe away every tear from our eye. There will be no more death or mourning or pain or crying. Those old things have passed away. This is our hope, Peter says. He says that we have an inheritance. You are family now. As you came into faith in Christ, you're now a part of God's family. You're an heir. You're a co-heir with Christ himself. And all God has intended, he wants to pour out this this very faith, this very hope that we have, this inheritance that we have, changes everything. It is life-changing. And this is why Peter could could go on and say, notice what he says then in verse 6. He says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come... So that that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And you're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you know, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And Peter could say this, even in the midst of all you're going through, all these things, you believe, you know, you know deep down that this is not how it all ends. You know there's something more, and you love him, and you believe in him. In fact, there's something in you. There's this joy. This, it, it's, so, it's inexpressible, this joy you have. And he says these things will come into your life, and they'll come, and they'll shape you, and you, you, you can trust him in this. Notice this last thing that he's, he's teaching us about our hope. Our hope is not circumstantial. Our hope is not circumstantial. We're not, our hope doesn't rise and fall based on how our life goes and the kinds of things we encounter in this life. He says, even the things you encounter in this life, if you have the right perspective, if you can see the bigger picture, that you can allow God to use those things to shape you and strengthen you and refine you and make you stronger that he will increase your faith. If you could just have the right perspective. See, most of us are waiting for a change of our circumstances when what we really need is a change in our perspective. There was a a, a young college student. She wrote a, a, a tough letter during her sophomore year home to her parents. And she wrote, Dear Mom and Dad, I know that this is really going to disappoint you, but I met a guy. He's about 15 years older than I am, and we're in love. We just eloped. I'm two months pregnant. I'm dropping out of school, and I'll contact you at some point in the future. I'm really sorry. Your daughter. And just below, she added, P.S. 
instructing her mom and dad to turn the letter over. And on the back, she wrote this, just kidding. But I did flunk one class and I need $200. Please keep this in perspective. Most of us want our circumstances to change when really what we need is a change in perspective. And this is what Peter's saying. Look at, in all these things, look at it through the lens of eternity. Look at it through the lens of eternity. What causes people to to sink or to rise to the top? It's hope. Think about our inheritance. Remind yourself that it won't always be like this. And notice what he says, that this hope will lead to rejoicing, great rejoicing, glorious joy, inexpressible joy, even if you suffer all kinds of trials. No matter what you face in this life, in this fu- the future hope will be greater. Because the, the risen Christ will be in it with you. Charles Swindoll writes this, he says, When you become a Christian, the storms of life will not suddenly break. Truth be told, they sometimes intensify into hurricanes, at least for a season. But even in the midst of the hurricane, you have the master of the wind and the waves sitting beside you in your tiny boat, manning the helm and keeping you on an even keel. Friends, our hope is not circumstantial. See everything you're enduring in this life through the lens of eternity the inheritance that is secured, it's guarded. It will never spoil, it will never fade, it will never perish. That there is a day coming when every tear will be wiped from our eyes and there will be no more mourning or death or pain or crying. So where are you placing your hope? In whom are you placing your hope? Is it some form of wishful thinking? Is, is what's driving your life? Is the cornerstone hope of your life something about you becoming greater? I, I just, I, I want to climb this ladder so people can see how good I am and, and that I made it and that I'm, I'm not who they thought I would be. What is it? What hope is it that's driving your life? And I think Peter calls us to this. He says, place your hope in the one who has power over life and death. See, what I love about this, what Peter says is in essence this, this hope began in the heart of God himself. Notice how he said it in, in verse three, that this is all driven by the mercy of God. God in his love and mercy for you dreamed up this hope. Now, most of us, if we were to go to get a portrait taken of us, they they took a picture. If you said to the photographer, now go and do some touch-ups and do justice to my photo, the reality is we really should say, no, go and give mercy to my photo, right? We don't need justice. You and I need mercy. And it wasn't, it was the mercy of God in which this whole hope was dreamed up. God in his love displayed for you. He put his love on display On that Good Friday, even though we were sinners, Christ died for us. His love has been put on display. And his power has been put on display. That he has power over all things in life and death. One pastor says it this way. Uh, He he says uh, to us that if, if, 
if death, if you don't have to worry about death, if death is not a problem, then nothing is a problem. Where will you place your hope? Jesus says, come, come, follow me. Put your faith in me. Put your hope in me and what I have in store for you both now and forever. Stop chasing those other things, those other dreams, those other hopes. Let those things fade away and trust me and let me lead you because I will give you hopes that are unimaginable. I will blow your mind with the things I have for you and I will help you pursue the things that I created you for. Put your faith in me and put your hope in me. Come, follow me. The best is still to come. There was a woman who found out she had terminal cancer. And as she uh, found that out, she found out she had about three months to live. She made an appointment with her pastor. And they said, let's plan our, uh, my service. And they sat and they came up with all the songs and, and speakers and all the different pieces to the service. And they finished. And as she, as she was walking out the door, she goes, oh, wait, one more thing. She says, well, here's what I'd like. I'd like you to place me in the front. And I want my casket to be open. And I want you to place in my right hand a fork. Because I want everyone to walk by and say, what's with the fork? And here's what I want you to tell them. I want you to tell them how I grew up in this church. And, and my favorite thing growing up in this church was all the, the socials and potlucks and dinners and all the things we'd have. And when they'd come time to clean up, we'd, we'd start throwing everything away. And then these sweet ladies would come to me and they'd whisper to me, honey, keep your fork. The best is still to come. And I learned that that wasn't something weak like jello or something. It was like good God food, like cake and pie and all these really good things. And so I used to look forward to hearing every time in those, honey, keep your fork. The best is still to come. When they look into my casket and they see that fork, you remind them, don't worry about her. The best is still to come. Church, keep your fork. Don't lose hope. Our inheritance is secure. Christ is risen. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And so let's pray and let's, let's honor him with that. And as we pray, Jesus' invitation was very simple. He, he called to people. He said, follow me. Put your faith in me. Put your trust in me. Put your hope in me. And I suppose some of you have been around church or maybe this is the first time. And, but today is the day in which you become a Christian. That doesn't mean that today is the day you start attending church, although that, that's a part of the life of a Christian. But a Christian is one who puts their faith in Christ. It's one who, who t- receives the life of Christ by faith. And I don't want to let this Easter Sunday end without inviting you to put your faith in Christ. And so if it is your desire this morning to ask Jesus to become your Savior, to say to him, I believe that you did those things, that you died for me, that you rose, that you're coming. I believe those things to the best of my understanding. I believe. But I don't only want you to be my Savior. I want you, Jesus, to be the Lord of my life. I want you to lead me. And by my faith, with your help, if you'll fill my life with your spirit, I will follow you and I will honor you with this life. 
with your help. And if that's what you want, I want to encourage you just in the quiet of this moment as we bow, just to tell him that. Maybe you've been far from him. Maybe you haven't felt very close to him in this last season of your life. Maybe you just need to say, Lord, I I miss this life with you. I miss following you and I miss knowing that I belong to you. And you just need to say today, Lord, I'm, I'm coming back to you. We say here in our church, expression deepens the impression. And as we just bow, as you're praying these things, as you're placing your faith, your hope in him, I would just encourage you and I'll pray for you. But if that's your heart, if you want to say, Lord, I want to put my faith in you today. Today I become a Christian or today I want to come back to you. And I want to begin walking with you again. I want my faith and my hope in you. Would you just lift your hand in the air so I can pray for you? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, you see all these hands. You see those who want to know you. Who want their hope to be in you. Who want to know that their inheritance is kept for them. That you have done something for them and they're trusting in that. And that hope would would transcend any challenge or trial or pain or, or, or thing that would create the need for perseverance. Lord, bless those who want to follow you today or want to return in, in relationship, want to restore that relationship. Thank you for being so gracious and calling us to yourself, for dreaming this up in the first place and inviting us in. And may uh, all of us, because of our faith in you and because our hope is in you. May we handle every piece of adversity in light of eternity. For you are risen and you have authority over all things in life and death. We honor you. We praise you. We pray this in your name. Amen.